Hey guys, welcome to What's the Word? We're so glad to have you today. Today we're talking about what in the world is going on. Uh, I've had multiple people that have contacted me and been asking, like, what is happening here? Like, what's what's actually going on right now? And uh, <laughs> William said, that's exactly what I was thinking. And uh, so what I want us to do is let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to go down to verse 37. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 37. You may read this verse and that may confuse you more. Uh, (laughs) But in the end, I believe you're going to have a good picture of what's going on here. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37. And this is what I want you to see. At the end of this, this, I have to establish some things first. But uh, there's some big picture things that we need to see to understand what's happening in the earth right now, what's happening in our country. Uh, There's some big picture items that we need to recognize. And at the end of this, I'm going to show you three things that will turn, three steps that will turn things around. Three steps for you and I uh, to turn things around. And yeah, uh, Kevin Nowicki says the faith chapter. It's exactly what Hebrews 11 is. And, uh, but we need to establish some things. So what I want you to do, I'm going to take you to a couple of passages. We're going to read through them, and I'm going to establish a couple of points. And these points will help us to understand what's actually going on. So let's look at uh, Hebrews 11, verse 37. And I want you to see this. All right, now, we know that Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. Some people call it the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's all these great and mighty things that people did, that men of God and women of God did. And uh, that it's awesome. Like, it's a great chapter. Uh, where we jump in right here in verse th- 37, it doesn't look quite as awesome, but I want you to see something. I want you to see the reality of some things. And let's look at this. Uh, verse 37 says this, uh, These people of faith, Uh, some of them right before it, it says they did these great things in the verses right before it. But right here it talks about some of the negative things that happened. Verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Oh, what a great verse. (laughs) (laughs) What a great verse. But let's look at something because God is talking about these people in a way that they are, they did a good job. And he's given them kudos. I mean, he's given them some praise here. But what I want you to see is this. The people of God for for decades and and centuries now, uh, for millennia, have put up with things and been in persecution. Now, many of them didn't know the, the full promise that we know through Christ. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have all of these things. But we have it. We know these promises, these promises that are yes and amen. Let me, I'm not telling you uh, that the Lord is calling you into a life of suffering as is some uh, doctrines. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the Lord delivers us out of them all, right? Uh, The Lord delivers us out of them all. But at the same time, we need to understand the big picture of what's going on. And I want to show you a heart of God that truly, I believe, has been missed in this American church. There's a heart of God that has been missed, and we need to 
see that in order to understand what's happening. And so, first of all, just looking at this verse, we're going to read the other verses through uh, verse 40, but look at this verse first. Which of you, listening to this, have been stoned, sown in two? If you're sown in two and still li listening to this, I want to talk to you. So <laughs> call, call the ministry. And, and, uh, um, and we, you know, we're tempted, put to death with the sword. If you're put to death with the sword and still listening, I want to talk to you as well. Uh, so definitely reach out. Go to whatsright.com and send us a message. I, I want to talk to you. Um, they were in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. The truth is, which one of us, in, especially in America, have gone through these things? None of us, really. I mean, maybe, maybe one or two here or there, but for the most part, we're not under this type of persecution. This is what's known as great persecution. You have persecution, which the whole church is under persecution, and even more right now than, than ever, but it's still not great persecution in America. Great persecution is where they're killing Christians. They're, they're beheading them. That's great persecution, and they're, they're pulling them out of their homes. Now, I'm not saying that we're not on the verge of great persecution. We could be, but... My point is, many of us, we consider persecution because, you know, we think the wrong person got into the office of president or something like that. That's not great persecution. That, and if you think that's great persecution, you're fooling yourself. Now, can that lead to great persecution? Yes, that can. The wrong person in leadership, when the godly rule, the people rejoice, or the people moan uh, when the ungodly are in there. So can that lead to great persecution? Yes. Are we in it? No. In America, we are not in great persecution. Uh, in northern Nigeria, they're in great persecution, right? Uh, in some places, parts of the Middle East, they are in great persecution. But in America, we're not in great persecution. We're, being, we're in persecution. Uh, literally, people are saying that if you think uh, Christian or conservative, you need, to be, uh, you need to reverse the brainwashing. That is a type of persecution, right? Uh, they think that you're stupid because, well, you don't believe science. Actually, I believe science probably more than, more than an evolutionist does, actually. Um, I believe in science, and actually, you have more faith to believe in evolution than I do do to believe in a creator. That actually takes more faith with everything because it's just impossible. The science proves it's impossible. You have to overlook some of those things. So, I'm, you know, many people, they, they have their opinion and they'll have persecution of the church. Now, here's one of the things I want you to see. This is where they were at. People were willing to die, to be sown into, to do these things, to go into great persecution for a purpose, all right? Now watch. They were willing to go into great persecution before they had the, the enemy defeated through Christ. They were willing to give up their lives, be sawn in two, thrust through with the sword. They were willing to have these things done before they had the victory that Christ afforded them, okay? So they were there and doing these things for a purpose. Now watch this, verse 38. Men of whom, God says this by the Holy Ghost, men of whom the world was not worthy. Here's my question. Do you want to be worthy? Do you want to be counted worthy, right? I'm not telling you to believe God to go through great persecution. But the question is, if you did go through it, 
Are you worthy of God's commendation? Are you worthy to say, Lord, I would die for you? Lord, I am for you, and I will give my life for you. And I'm not talking about fighting in a battle to regain your freedom. I'm talking about you, you give your life for the winning of souls. You are willing to give your life to not deny your king. You know, this is a heart that God deems worthy, and there's a purpose behind it. I want you to see this as we continue to read. Men of whom, remember, we're asking the question today, what in the world is going on? But one of the things that we're actually looking at is, is what in the world is going on? But we've got to establish some pieces to be able to have. In, in other words, it's kind of like I've got to build up two different uh, high points here so we can see the big picture of what's going on. This is one of them. And so it says, men of whom the world was not worthy. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, mountains, and caves, and holes in the ground. Verse 39, and all of these having gained approval through their faith. You, know, you would have some that are like hyper, hyper faith uh, in, in, in an instance where they would be like, well, if they didn't, you know, if they didn't escape being sown in two, they weren't using their faith enough. Um, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says these have gained approval through their faith. In other words, they applied faith in some way. Apparently, we, you know, somebody that would be like hyper faith and, and thinking they missed it. Uh, God's saying, no, by the Holy Ghost, they were approved in their faith. In other words, they were putting faith in something that maybe we didn't see. They gained approval in their faith, and watch this, did not receive what was promised. There's a huge, a huge little key here. These two verses right here at the end of Hebrews 11 are some of the most important that we can ever see and understand in our modern day Christianity. He says this, they did not receive what was promised, 40, because God had provided something better for us. So we're talking about Old Testament, but they're saying they didn't receive what had been promised because God had provided something better for you and I now in this age, in this new covenant. Now watch this, this, this statement. He's provided something better for us, and here's the heart that these people had that God counted them worthy and gave approval to their faith. Here's, here it is right here. So that... Apart from us, they would not be made perfect. In other words, they didn't receive what they could have received because they didn't want to be receiving it separate. They gave their lives so that we could be in unity. Okay? So that we could be one. Now, see, here's what I'll, I'll I've watched this. Let me give you an example. I've watched this in years of ministry now where one church is sitting there and they're, and they're doing well and they'll look at another church that's not doing well or they're just starting up and they'll snub their nose up, turn their nose up and say, well, they need to have faith for themselves. That is the exact opposite of what God approves here at the end of this Hall of Fame chapter of faith. He actually says that they were approved and God was counting them worthy. The world was not worthy of them, but God said they were worthy. And he says, because they didn't receive so that they could receive the best as one group in unity. 
What a statement. This is the heart of God. And to understand what in the world's going on, you have to understand the heart of God in the big picture is not just so that one or two will make it. He wants the whole to rise up to the fullness of the promise. Hear that and put that in the comments. God desires that the whole rises up to the fullness of the promise. God desires that the whole rises up together to the wholeness of the promise. And so many times one of the things that we do is we won't because we might have done the right thing in an instance and then, you know, something doesn't happen the way that we want it to go. What we want is like, well, Lord, just bless me. And God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, you know, God's kingdom is not communist. God's kingdom is not socialist. He's not just there. God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. In 2 Corinthians 9, what you sow determines a larger harvest. In other words, other people have larger harvests, but sometimes people want to just take their harvest and run. This is not God's way. God wants, you know, he didn't say, in, he didn't tell us in his word that there'll be a piece of the glorious church that gets it first and then the second half will come later. No, he calls it one word, one, one defining statement, I should say. The glorious church, you know, and in context, that is the whole. That's the whole. In other words, this is, God wants to give us, bring the whole church up, not just a part of it. He wants to bring the whole church up. This is a major thing. God's heart, and put this in the comments, God's heart is always unity. God's heart is always unity. Yeah, amen, buddy. A church full of his glory. A church full of his glory. God's heart is always into unity. It's very important for us to understand this and, and hear this statement. God sees and cares about the details, but he is truly carrying out a big picture plan. God is truly carrying out a big picture plan. Now, does that mean, well, we just can relax until he carries it out? God forbid. Absolutely not. That is not what we need to do. We need to take our responsibility. Christ died for us. He is our Lord. We should follow his every command. And we got a book full of them here. And some of the main things is win souls and make disciples and, and be on fire with God. Go after him. Do the work of an evangelist. You know, these are things. Do the work of ministry. These are things that we should see. We have an ultimate responsibility to do. Our job is not to sit back or we may be found in the one who misses his return. No, he will find us laboring in the fields. If you believe that, put it in the comments now. Jesus will find me laboring for the harvest. Put it in the comments right now. Jesus will find me laboring for the harvest. Amen. But you know, God knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows every sparrow that falls to the ground. God sees the details and, it, and he cares about us. He cares about those details. He says, look, you know, cast your cares uh, on me. Cast all your cares, your anxieties, your worries on me because I care for you. In other words, he sees the details and he cares about you. And watch this. You have a promise that you will be kept, that you will be kept 
from the evil one. And so you need to see that promise. So don't just believe. See, some people when they say, well, persecution will come and I guess I just got to go through it. That's an anti-Christ doctrine. That's an antichrist doctrine. And you, the, same, the same that says there will be persecution also says he's always leading you to triumph. So in Mark 10 he says there'll be persecution. You know, specifically there it says it several places. But in, but in 2 Corinthians 2.14 it says he's always leading you to triumph. And in 1 Corinthians 10.13 he says, and he will always provide a way of escape. Right? He is faithful. And so don't believe that you're going to lose. Don't believe, you know, it's, uh, I like, I think I've heard uh, Ted Shellsworth Jr. say this multiple times recently. He said, it is biblical to be challenged and have persecution. It's unbiblical to lose, right? It's unbiblical to lose. It's very important to keep that in mind. Now, and if we find ourselves in a losing position, that's a symptom that we can go back and find out and say, Lord, what is the difference? What's the change here? All right, now, one of the things I want us to, to look at is this. God sees and cares about the details, obviously, but truly, He's carrying out a bigger picture plan, a big picture plan. That's happening. But our job, it, while He's carrying out a big picture plan, is to remember it's not just about you and it's not just about me. It's about the whole. God has a heart for unity. God has a heart for redeeming the whole, not just a few. He wants everyone. It's important for us. And so one of the attitudes that we need to check is, Lord, save me, versus, Lord, save us. Now, now hear that again. When we're praying, you know, honestly, looking and really looking at our heart, has our prayers been, Lord, save me and my family, or Lord, save the whole? Lord, save us. Is it Lord, save me, or Lord, save us? You know, and, and we need to be, if we're going to have the heart of God, we have to have the heart. Don't just save me. Save all of us. Save the whole Lord. That's what made these guys in Hebrews so worthy and faithful was they were saying, Lord, don't just save me. Save us. So I, we don't want to receive it apart from this future, you know, children that are coming into your family. Lord, save us as a whole. Look at this. Look at this heart of unity that God has. Now, does that mean that he won't save you while the whole is being, being saved? Will he not save you from persecution? He will save you, you know. But where's our heart at? Where's that location? You know, Lord, I'm, I'm not just here for me to be saved. I, you know, if you're already born again, truthfully, in eternity, you are saved now. You're, you're saved now. You have every promise, every inheritance, uh, every part of godliness and the fullness of life, right? In Peter it says that. So we have every promise of that now. You have the victory. He's always leading you to triumph. But here's what we got to understand. Sometimes God's victory looks different from our victory because we're looking at it at a small portion of the picture and God's looking at the big picture. And, and I'm going to go into this. What's going on right now? This, you have to see this part first. We must focus on the eternal man, not just the physical man. We must focus, put that in the comments, we must focus on the eternal man and not just the physical man. All right, now, 
That was the first point that we needed to establish. The second point is this. How does God handle his kids? Write that in the comments. How does God handle his kids? And think about that for a second. How does the Lord handle his kids? You know, have you ever done anything wrong? Did God make you do what's right? No, he lets you do what's wrong. How does God handle his kids? Let's look at this. We're going to look at the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. Let me just read through this. And uh, I, don't, I may stop a couple of times, but for the most part, I just want to read through it. Prodigal son, Luke 15, 11 through 32, I believe it is. Yep. He said, a man had two sons. This, and let me just give you this right now. These two sons represents the church right now. You're going to start to see what's going on. This two sons represents the church right now. God wants them both saved. One part of the church is awake and active and laboring. Okay? The other part of the church is asleep or not born again yet. They're not, they're not being active. All right? He says, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Okay? Now, he took what he had and he buried the talent. He took the power of God, the anointing of God, the ability to win souls, the ability to make disciples, and he made church cool. He, made, he squandered what he had. He made church cool according to the world's terms. I'm not saying that, that you, don't, you can't be cool. I'm saying you got to do it on God's terms. You can't mix the things of the world and the holiness of God. And he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. In other words, he got so hungry that the food that the pigs had looked good to him, which he was also, this is in a, a Jewish setting, that would have been a great abomination, but he was so hungry that they were looking good. And, I want, and he says, and this is so huge, oh man, and no one was giving anything to him. Now see, I want you to notice something. That, that young man at that time would probably be fussing at God, God, why is nobody giving this to me? Because God's in the big picture. God's in the big picture, and he's not concerned about the physical man as much as he is the saving of the eternal man. He wants to save the whole. He wants to save the whole man, not just one meal. He wants to save the whole man, not just one meal. No one was giving anything to him. Praise God. 
No one was giving anything to him. It was his pride and his arrogance that got him to this low point. And what he needed was what happens in the next verse. But what he needed could not have happened had he had people that were not hearing from the Lord and started giving to him to to the portion of man and not the whole man. And so the next verse, verse 17, one of the biggest things, but when he came to his senses, he said, in other words, what happened to him? He woke up. He woke up, right? And what caused him to wake up? He, what caused him to wake up was the state of his life. It caused him to wake up. His life was being persecuted by his choices, what he had sown, he's now reaping, and his life was being persecuted by his own choices. Now, I want you to think about this. What was going on with the other brother? The older brother was still at home. He had everything he needed. He wasn't looking at pig's food thinking it looked good. The older brother was doing fine, right, at this point. And he says, but he wakes up. He comes to his senses. Now, watch this, and I've used this multiple times, because when you're giving right, to people who are in need. The Lord says, right, he, we're supposed to give to the poor. But here's one of the things that happens. We don't just give to everybody that claims to be poor, and we don't just give to every poor person that crosses our, our desk. How do we know that? The full counsel of the word. You go into 1 Corinthians 13, 3, and it says, even though I give all my possessions to the poor or give my body to be burned, but have not love, then it profits me nothing. So a lot of times people are just giving to any poor person they see, but what they're not doing is seeking the commandment of the Lord to give to them in that moment or not. And that one commandment to give to the poor, by giving us this verse, it shows us that we're not supposed to give everywhere. We're not supposed to give to every poor person. He's saying, even if I give all my possessions to the poor, but have not love. In other words, I could give to the poor and be outside of love, right? And so here's this prodigal son, and then if you do that, it profits you nothing. God wants you to profit. He's always wanting you to increase. That is his way. He's wanting you to move forward. So that would be a seed sown if it was proper. But if it's not a commandment by the Holy Ghost to us, then it's not proper seed sown. It's just given away, and, it, and, it, and it's lost in that way. And he says, and it profit that, profits that person zero. So they see this person as the prodigal son. Of course, the prodigal son, you know, this is, this is like a story. And, he, and he's telling, it's like a parable. But what he's doing is giving us an example of some ways to live. And one of the things he says with the prodigal son, when we look at the full counsel of the word is, when they gave nothing to him, that caused him to wake up. But had they kept feeding him one meal at a time, they would have prolonged his captivity, prolonged his persecution. He would have remained hungry until he wakes up to go home, till he wakes up to set his life in order. Okay? Now, one of the things that you see here, and I, and I love this, and, and I said this yesterday, and I believe I'm going to be preaching on, on Sunday, is that he realized this pig food is not my inheritance. <laughs> and, and put this, these little things that the world will hand me is not my inheritance. You know, uh, as believers, we need to wake up to what our inheritance in Christ is. This little, you know, 
squandering, I don't know if that's, the, I'm looking for a word there, but this little bit of squalor, this, the, what the world would give me in squalor. This is not my inheritance. I'm made in the image and likeness of God. Jesus paid that I could have fellowship with him again, that I would walk in his glory, in his anointing, in his faith, hope, and love, and this little squalor that the world has served me up. This is not my inheritance. Hallelujah. When that, go, when that goes off on the inside of you, your life will change forever. Jesus has paid for you to be at a different place. Amen. Verse 17. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, and, and take hope in this, it wasn't that he had arrived yet. He just, he got on the journey and the father saw him even when he wasn't close to being where he needed to be. And the father ran to him. The key is turn your heart and your eyes towards Jesus. If you ever find yourself out of the will of God, simply turn your heart and your eyes towards God and start heading towards him. And your loving father will see your approach and he will help bring you into the house in the way that you need to. He will empower you. He will help you. He was still a long ways off. He wasn't there yet. He wasn't arrived. He didn't have all this stuff worked out yet. He was still a mess, still smelled. His father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him even in his stinky, filthy state. Meditate on that. Think about the love the father has for you. You know, I've watched so many people, including myself over the years, you know, turn their life around. And we think like, oh, I went to the altar and I made things right. And, and all of a sudden we're sitting there at the altar and we're like so proud of ourselves. And we still smell like the world. You know, all we did was we changed direction. It's the mercy and the love of God that welcomed us, even in our stinky state. We still got a bunch of stuff to work on, you know. And this is a humility that we need to have. He says, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf. Kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. This is the heart of a loving father. You know, think about this. This son basically, you know, in an essence, in one way of looking at it, stole from the father. Stole the time with his son. Stole the wealth that he should have been able to still, you know, invest and do those things. This son stole that. He had messed up. He was, he was such a jerk. This son was a jerk to his father. But the father saw him even when he wasn't even close to the house, when he was still a long ways off. And he, and he rejoiced and had compassion. Look at what the Father will do to us. Look at what God will do for us. He loves you. He loves you. He's got the best for you. God wants to welcome us all back. Now watch this. Okay, 
Now let's look at this and remember what we talked about in Hebrews. All right, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began to inquire what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. I think every one of us can relate to this on, on, in some way. Now watch. Lord, that person... They've been such an evil mess, and they're still messed up. They still stink. They still look like the world, and they just are causing issue in my church where it was going so well. Sound familiar? Or, Lord, we were praying for your will to be done in this country, and it didn't happen. And, Lord, aren't you going to save us at least because we were praying for it? If everybody else didn't want to pray for it, well, let them be. But we did the right things. I'm just going to sip my tea. Okay. I think all of us can relate to that on some level. And here it comes. Watch this. His father came out and began pleading with him. What a merciful dad. What a merciful, loving father. You know, he could have he burnt, you know, the son right there. I mean, he just could have, you know, zinged him right there. But no, he pleads with him. What a loving and merciful father. And that's what the Lord's doing with us today. He says, but he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've not, never neglected a command of yours. And yet, you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes... Well, whoa, whoa, time out. Who said anything about prostitutes? I mean, it told us that he had loose living, but what does that mean? That could have been a number of things. Where's this son at? This son is in full-on judgment against the other son. Against, watch this, the love of his father's heart. And this son is not unloved. But he is coming in full judgment against the apple of the father's eye. He also is, the older son is also the apple of the father's eye. Both of them are loved. Both of them are loved. But yet he's coming against the other portion of it. Does this older son believe in saving himself or saving me or saving us? Saving himself or saving the whole? See, he should be rejoicing that the heart of the father is been redeemed in this son coming home and that the heart of the father rejoices over this lost son. But no, he's not thinking about the father, he's thinking about himself. Okay? He says, he says, he came, devoured your wealth with prostitutes and you killed the fatted calf for him. Now he's mad at the father for the father's love. It reminds me of another story where they hire, uh, you know, Jesus tells the parable of the person that was hired in the morning for one day's wage. And then he hires somebody with one hour to go, basically. And at the end of the day, and he pays that person one day's wage too. And then the guy hired in the morning goes, wait a minute, I've been working all day. And, and the father basically shows us this example. He's like, I'm giving you what we agreed to. But now I feel like being loving and generous 
to this person and you're going to fuss against my love and against my generosity? And so this is, a, this is a check against our heart. It's a check against who we are and where we are. And even if you have this set inside of you, even if right now, you know, you have the right attitude towards it, this is a confirmation that you're doing the right thing. And it's a confirmation to keep on in it. You know, this is a confirmation to keep living this way, keep in this type of thought, keep, keep thinking towards the whole, not just towards the one. And he says, he says, son... You have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. So a lot of times, a lot of times we'll see a situation that we think is bad in the world, and we, and we start planning in our head, and this is our corrupted flesh. We start planning in our head how it's going to go bad and how we can escape it. And so our prayers will be based off of save me when already in Christ we already have everything that's the Lord's. All that he has is ours. He says, he says in Peter, I've granted to you everything pertaining to life and godliness. In Ephesians 1, 3, I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He's already blessed us. He's keeping us from the evil one. No evil will come near us. No plague will come near our dwelling. He's healing us. He's doing good in our lives. Beloved, above all things, I wish that you prosper and, and, and be in health, even as your soul prospers. He's done everything. We have everything. Protection, deliverance, all of that. What are we planning on? God has no plans for our calamity in Jeremiah 29, 11. God has no plans for our calamity. What are we making plans for? For God's things to break? No. And see, what we'll do is we'll allow a corrupted thinking, just like this older son, get to the place where now we're down. Oh, what are we going to do? Now go back to yesterday's message. What we're going to do is we're going to rejoice and press into the Father. And we're going to see the fruits of the harvest of what Jesus did in our lives. Glory to God. Put it in the comments. If you're going to receive the full inheritance of your, uh, and manifest the full inheritance of what Christ did in your lives, put some hands up in the comments. I'm going to receive the full inheritance of the price Jesus paid. Hallelujah. The Father says, all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this, and hear these words, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. This brother of yours was lost and has been found. This brother, the whole, the whole. How does God treat his children? Now, I want you to watch this. God, first of all, has a heart for the whole, not just one. He didn't just want, in the prodigal son, he didn't just want the older son saved. He wanted both of them saved. He didn't just want the church that's awake saved. He wants both of them saved. He wants the church that's awake saved. He wants church that's asleep saved. He wants the church that hasn't been born again yet saved. So how does he do it? Now that those two points are established, I want to ask you some questions. No, I'm setting you up. <laughs> I'm setting you up like a lot of times. So now that you see those two points, God is concerned about the whole. And, and, that God, watch what happens to the prodigal son. 
How does God, the question I asked was, how does God handle his children? Well, the, the son, the children that are awake, he blesses. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. They're blessed. They may be blessed above what the others are blessed, but he wants them all saved. And that means not just going to heaven, but awake. He wants a glorious church. But how else does he handle his children? He'll let them be asleep. And he says, you know, he'll let them be asleep. He'll let them be in deception if they choose deception over him. They'll, he'll let them do that. He'll let them do that. And he'll let them go to the place of a load, just like this prodigal son, with the hope, because he's given them choice, with the hope, with the hope that they will wake up. And, and, and I believe he's believing for us, to all, the whole, to wake up and come to our senses and come home and be the glorious church he's called us to be. Now, here's a great set of questions. One. What is the best thing at this point in time? What's the best thing that can happen to this world? Think on that for a second. What's the best thing? Put that in the comments. What's the best thing that can happen to this world? Now, here's the thing. Um, does Jesus have anything else to do? Does God have anything else to do to this world? No. On the cross, he said it very plainly. It is finished. There's nothing left to be done. The issue is it is finished. He, he got us born again. He gave us the Holy Spirit to be filled with so that we could be witnesses. And in Matthew 28, he transferred all power and authority to rule and reign and have dominion on this earth to the children of God. Jesus has done all he's needed to do. It's in the church's hands. And to give you another scripture of that, Psalms 115 and verse 16. Psalms 115 and verse 16. Let's read it. Very, very important scripture. Because if you don't understand this, then you'll think that God is allowing a lot of stuff that actually the church is allowing. Psalms 115 and verse 16 says this, The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The earth, he's not holding the earth in his hands and he's making all the decisions. Mankind is making all the decisions. The earth he's given to the sons of men. He hasn't taken the earth back from man. This is why Jesus had to become a man. Jesus had to become a man in order to win back the earth. He couldn't do it as God. He had to do it as a man. Why? Because God had given the earth to men. And then Jesus takes all that power and authority back. It was, he takes what's back from the devil. The, the Lord, the Father, pours out more on him. He steps into that. And then in Matthew 28, he says, All power and authority is given unto me. So go therefore. And he transfers in that command, Go therefore, with my power and authority, make disciples. Preach the gospel, the Great Commission. In other words, be my ambassador in this power and authority. See, the earth is in the hands of men, not in God. Jesus doesn't have anything more to do. Man has to apply what Jesus has done. Man has the responsibility to be the salt and be the light. Man has to apply the authority that Jesus has won. Put that in the comments. Man, man's job 
is to apply the authority that Jesus has won. The, and so, what is the best thing that can happen to the world? Is it that Jesus needs to do something? No. What needs to happen? It's that the church that are made, that's made up of men and women, the church needs to wake up to who it is. Many times, like in Ephesians, it's like the whole book is about the church waking up to what they've been given. Romans chapter 8 says this, that the whole earth groans, groans for the manifesting of the sons of God or the children of God. The best thing that can happen to this earth is that the church wakes up. Put that in the comments. The best thing that can happen to this world is that the church wakes up. Question number two. Is the church truly awake now? Is the church, put that in the comments please, is the church truly awake right now? And the answer is no. Hopefully you know that already without thinking about it too long. It's no. Why? Because they're not walking in the glory that God has for them. Some of the church is awake and the awakening has begun. And I'll, I'll give you this, there's a word we definitely have. It's time for an awakening. But is not just a part of the church, but the whole church. Is the whole church awake? The answer is no. No, it's not. Let me give you an example of this. I knew, I knew the church was asleep. I knew the church was asleep this past year. And I'll tell you how I knew it. So here we were in, the, in this past year, in 2020, and everybody's on lockdown for months. All of a sudden, you know, churches are not gathering together, doing different things. Churches are, you know, they're not being there, and uh, they're locked down. All of a sudden, uh, here's what you see. We're coming up to Easter. Now, there's two days that church, church members or even attenders will go to more than any other, Christmas and Easter, and uh, called CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only. Um, so this is, this is one of the things that you see is you always see that attendance rise in that. Now, what is Easter? Easter is a celebration that our king rose up from the dead and paid for our freedom. If he is my Lord, if Jesus is my Lord, the celebration at Easter, Resurrection Day, is the greatest day of the year. <laughs> this is the victory that was won, the victory that was finished. When he left that tomb and rose back to life in his physical body, it, uh, it empowered all of the church to be saved and born again. It is what made the transfer of resurrection power from God to his body. It is the time of victory. It is the thing we should celebrate. It is our, you know, if he's our Lord and he's our king, that is the moment where everything changed for us. It's a celebration. So how should that day be treated by us with great honor and great esteem and great respect? Now, during that period of time, we're still in the lockdown. We've been in lockdown two to three months of that period of time. Lots of fear going on. I mean, people are, you know, flipping out, fear. They need answers. They need all of this. And uh, we come up to our Resurrection Day service. And one of the things in, in our county, in our county, uh, as far as I know, that 
we were one of the only churches openly having services at that time. Now, we were having them in the parking lot. Everybody was staying in their cars. They were following all of the rules, but we were gathering. We were assembling, coming out from our homes. We were not forsaking the assembly. We were coming together to meet into the parking lot to celebrate the resurrection of our King on Easter. And so here's one, here's, we're the only church I know that's open. I know, I know of now one other church that was open, but here's what I want you to see. We broadcast that across the county. We advertised it all over Facebook. We paid a bunch of money for it to be all over. And we, sh and we shared. We're meeting together, but we're in cars. We're following all this. So we, you know, we did all of those rules. If people, and here's what happened. What do you think? If people are really hungry to serve the Lord, to worship Him, right? Wouldn't they be finding a place where they could fulfill the commandment of God and come together? You know, and at the very least, we should see numbers you know, a good bit higher than what they were on a weekly basis, at least on Resurrection Day. We had two extra cars. We had two extra cars that day that were in the parking lot having church with us. And I saw that, and I went, oh, man, we're in trouble. We're, we're a lot more asleep than what I ever thought we were. And I realized the state, and this is a, you know, a pretty conservative and Bible Belt type of area, but you don't have people that are hungry enough to gather with believers, even following the rules and following the laws. They don't have enough hunger and desire, and they're not hungry enough to be looking for some solution to come out. Even, even like, okay, every other uh, church that was having their services online, okay, they stayed home for their churches. Where are the people that don't normally, that, that don't have any allegiances, that call themselves Christians, but they don't, they're not going to a church right now, but at least they'll go celebrate Easter. Where, where's that crowd? You know? In other words, no matter how you look at it, no matter how you cut, cut it, I recognize right then, the church is asleep. And we're talking about a Bible Belt area. The church is asleep. The church is asleep. And what, what is God concerned? Will he let the church be like that? Yes. And the question I ask right here, is the church awake? And the answer is an emphatic no, and it's still asleep. It's still asleep, or else churches would be filled. Last night we were watching some worship, and I was watching some worship from, you know, that was beautiful worship, and the worship was awesome and anointed, but I saw a ton of people. I, saw, I, got, I really got a little frustrated, and, I, and my heart hurt. It wasn't, it wasn't frustration like I'm mad or I'm judging the people. My heart hurt because here's what I saw. I saw a ton of people in an auditorium looking like they're worshiping God. You know, and, and you see markers that they've, and you see markers in the crowd that what they've done is they brought the coolness of the world and they mingled it with the holiness of God. And, and there's like, look, we're making church cool again. I don't want church to be cool. I want it to be holy. Cool doesn't solve my problems. Cool doesn't heal me. God's holiness, his anointing heals me, keeps my family protected. His anointing, I don't want cool, I want God. But you'll see over the last few years, 
there's been this push to make church cool. I don't want cool. I want God. But, and watch this. But when we make it cool, it attracts people without making a commitment. So you can't have the fullness of God without a commitment. And I watched as these cool people look like, on, on paper, so to speak, looked like they were just worshiping God and having such a great time. And Jesus, you're my Lord, my King. They're, they're getting into it. And, and I want you to see something. And it was all here in the mind, the will and emotion. I'm not saying that there weren't somebody, some people that were genuine. There were, I, I guarantee you. But for the whole, and here's how I know. I'll, I'll show you why I know this. The fruit. The whole is sitting there in their emotion in the soulish realm, not in holiness. And so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, what do we see when the lockdown comes? Do we see those same people clamoring together in the parking lot of the church in front of their pastor saying, Pastor, we've got to worship the Lord together. No, you saw none of that. You didn't see that. A few pockets here and there, but it wasn't, it wasn't in these churches. You didn't see this cool crowd, this cool crowd, this, this crowd that appeared to be worshiping. Did you see them knocking down the doors of the church figuratively to get in there and say, Pastor, we've got to get together. We've got to get together. We must get together. I didn't see that. Now, in a few pockets, you'll see it. But that's not why I'm not talking about a full few pockets. God's not concerned about just the few pockets. He's concerned about the whole. And so my heart hurt for the whole. You know, in our church, when I said, listen, you know, to give you a contrast to it, when I told our church, the Lord has told me that we need to meet in the parking lot for a few weeks. Right? And there was a reason for that. The Lord gave me, he showed me exactly what to do. He gave me the wisdom of heaven and and we were obedient to that. But we did not stop assembling. Why? Because we're not going to forsake it. That's a command. We're getting together. Well, when I told my church, it wasn't, I didn't just tell them that we're not meeting and we're going online. I told them we're going to meet in the parking lot. I had people that were mad at me. When I looked into the eyes of of our congregation, I saw faith staring back at me. We want to meet. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be, and our core group literally grew during the whole lockdown. Our core grew during that period of time. That's the difference between an awake church and an asleep church. Whereas I couldn't keep them away. Certain people wouldn't come, but for the core of, you know, this is where we've challenged the flesh. We've not just let the flesh, flesh say, oh, well, it's 12 o'clock, service is over. No. Hey, if God wants us to go past 12, we're going. We're not here for your roast. We're not here, you know, to, for you to check a box. We're here for God. And as we've established that culture, the people grabbed a hold of, I'm doing this for the Lord. And I'm, I'm hungry for him. I want him. I've got to have him. I've got to have him. And so that's the contrast of it. Whereas it really hurt my heart as we were watching that beautiful worship. The anointing was on and everything. But the heart of the people was in their emotions. Otherwise they would have been at church. They would have been assembling. Even if they had to stay in their car, they'd come together in the parking lot, in the car together. They would have made it happen. They would have been looking for ways, but they weren't. Is the church awake? No, it's asleep. Question three, if they aren't awake after 2020, what in the world 
is it going to take to wake them up? If 2020 didn't wake the church up, what's it going to take? I don't want to know the answer to that. But remember the prodigal son story. The prodigal son, the asleep son, needed to come to himself. But his selfishness took him, instead of hearing the voice and the love of the father and never leaving home, the, the prodigal son's own selfishness took him to the bottom first before he woke up. And also, let's remember, the father, in all of his love and all of his wisdom, let him go there. The father let him go to the bottom. We see an awake church, part of the church is awake today and, and continuing to awake. And a lot of the church is beginning to wake up, yes. But there's still a lot asleep and God is concerned about the whole. He doesn't want to just save the part. He wants to save the whole. He wants the whole to be awake. And, and he is allowing the selfishness of a sleeping church to take them to the bottom to help wake up whoever will be awoken. And he doesn't want to leave the ones who are not born again yet either. He'll let those things happen to save the whole. There's a big picture here. So the question is this, how does the awakening come? Question four, how does the awakening come? And then hear this, God can't just come in. It's not forced. God can't just come in and zap his church and be awake. You know, that's not how an awakening comes. See, an awakening can't be an awakening outside of love. And if God forces the church awake, please hear this. If God forces that church awake, then they won't be in love. It won't be a choice to, to go after God. It'll be a forcing to go after God. Remember, he even says in 2 Corinthians 9, don't give out of force or out of compulsion. I'm not going to compel you to do it. You've got to come to your own senses. Wake up and make a decision and a commitment to go home, to go to the awakening of God. How does an awakening come? It's not forced. That would be out of love. An awakening must be a genuine heart for God. An awakening must be a genuine heart for God. Now, now, now we're at a predicament. How do you get somebody who's asleep to a genuine awakening and, and a genuine heart for God? How do you get them there? You have to let them get to the place where they'll make their own decision in love. What does that look like? It looks like persecution. It looks like the Lord letting things go to the place like the prodigal son until they wake up. Now, here's what I want. As soon as people hear that, especially people that feel like they're awake, the first thing they think about is, oh, gosh, I don't want to go through persecution. Who said, who said that you're going to go through and suffer the consequences of persecution? Nobody said that. The Word doesn't say that. The Word says persecution will be there, but He also says, I will deliver you out of them all. He also says, I'm always leading you to triumph. 
So in other words, if you face persecution, you should already know. We win. I'm the older son in the father's house and all his things are mine, including protection, health, deliverance, all of these things. I'm, I'm going after you. But the key is, are you really awake? Are, we must determine that with all sincerity and a humbleness of heart and a seriousness of heart. Am I truly awake? And the awake person always is going to have the fruit. They're going to be winning souls. They're going to be making disciples. They're going to have supernatural the fruit is they're going to have supernatural, right? Supernatural revelation. They're going to be walking in power, okay? And they're going to have all of this fruit that the Bible lays out. And we need to know this fruit and have it, not just talk about it. It needs to be not just on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday as well. We need to be an awake church is a fruitful church. An awake church, put that in the comments. An awake church is a fruitful church. You don't see people over the last few years going to churches in mass unless it's been like a seeker sensitive church that's appeasing to the flesh. But we didn't see those we didn't see those churches with people clamoring to get into church even during the lockdown. No, you didn't see that. That's not an awake church. You see a church awake when they won't be denied of going after God. When they're carrying the fruit, they're winning souls, they're making disciples, they're walking in the power of, of God. That's an awake church. They're producing. Matter of fact, Jesus makes it very clear. If you don't produce fruit, he's like, there, if it's very possible, I have no part with you. I've never known you. We must be a fruitful people, uh, producing fruit, walking in the fruit, and not just on Sunday morning. How does awakening come? It must be a genuine heart for God. It must be somebody that comes to themselves and makes a true, real decision. Oh, God, I need to be in your house. I need to be walking with you. I need to be living for you. And they wake up. It's got to be genuine. It can't be where God zaps them and it forces them to wake up. Now, there can be, you know, things that God allows to happen in the earth that causes the wake up, that causes people to, oh, my goodness, where are we at? And then they'll say, this is not my inheritance. That church needs to wake up. And, and listen, if you feel like you're already awake, you can't look at that church with condemnation like the older brother. You've got to look at the heart of the father and say he loves that younger brother who's been asleep just as much as he does me. Lord, be praying for that church to awake. Have a heart for that church. Have a heart for the new people to come in. Have a heart for them to wake up and join us. And yeah, I've been working the whole time, but I've been working because I love God, not because I'm just trying to get reward, because I love them. What's the best way for the father to get the church awake? Question five. Number one, he writes it on their hearts. And some will listen. But if they don't listen, if that doesn't work, then the way that he gets them awake is shown to us in the prodigal son. He'll let their decisions take them to that awakening point. Now, if you're awake, that's not going to bother you, you, or, you or me. If you're awake, that's not going to bother us. But you have to understand that God's not working a big picture that just involves you. It involves you and others. It's always about others. And remember the verses there in Hebrews where it says, they had the heart that was worthy and faithful that says, we won't receive our promise. We won't receive this rapture. We won't receive this saving apart from our younger brother that's coming. 
Oh, glory to God. This is the heart of God. See, that's the issue right now that much of the uh, church that's been asleep has had. They've not even been thinking about the younger brother. They've just been thinking about how do we keep the doors open? How do we keep being a business? It's not about winning the souls and making disciples. It's about appeasing people and keeping people coming in the doors over time. There, it's a mixture of the world's uh, philosophies with, with and they have a mixture of the holy and the profane. God says you can't have the holy and the profane. You, if you have me, you just have holy, not the common things of the word. But remember this, God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you're awake now and you keep doing the work and you're seeking after God, God's going to reward you. You know, the people that are awake now that heard the voice of the Lord, heard the writing of the Holy Ghost, and they're awake now before the rest of the church wakes up, they're going to be leading this thing. They're going to be leading this great glorious church in this end time revival. I'm talking about you. You're hearing this. You're hungry for the things. If you go after him, you're going to be leading this thing. God wants you to be that. The older brother is still the older brother. So how do we turn things around? As, as, as people that know and see the big picture, how do we turn things around? What's going on with the world? God wants to save the whole and he'll let the one who's asleep go to the bottom so that he can be woken up. God's shown that all throughout his word it's the same way. He'll let that. But don't think that you're going to be wrapped up in their bottom. You are already the top. You're already the head. If you're awake and you're going after God, and don't think just because you're awake that you've arrived. No, there's more. You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, if God is 10 and we're, and we're the awake church is, is, is there, we're not at a 7 or 8. We've barely scratched the surface of the glory of God. Moses said, show me your glory. And God lit him up physically with the glory of God. We have, he didn't have Jesus. We have Jesus. We have Jesus. There's a glory. There's an overflow of his anointing, a spear of his anointing that should flow into us and out of us and heal people as we walk down the streets like the apostles had. That was not just for them. That's for believers. It's time for an awakening, not just of the church that's asleep, but for the ones that are awake to awaken to how much more there is in the Father and not stop but go after Him. Three things to turn it around. How can we help the whole church, not just the part? Those that, are, those that need to awake and those that need to be born again. How can we do it? Awaken ourselves even more. Get into the, to the Father's love even more. Catch fire and run your race. Three steps to turn things around. Continue to wake up to the fullness of the inheritance that you have in Christ. To have the full manifestation of your inheritance in Christ. Read Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. Chapter 1 through 3. Read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. Who you are in Christ. Read it. Read Romans chapter 8. You know, get to know it. Make it yours. Wake up to who you are in Christ. Don't be held back. God has a normal of heaven. He wants to manifest through you right here on the earth. You don't have to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. You just have to be his child. Awaken to the fullness Set yourself on fire. Get baptized with the fire of God. 
and run your race. Don't run somebody else's race. Don't run somebody else's race in a, in a different, well, I've got to go to Washington and be this. No, you don't. Unless the Lord has told you that, no, you don't. God has planted you right where you're at. You're called for such a time as this to be anointed and on fire with God. If you'll handle your business here, God will see to it that somebody handles their business there. Run your race. Stay in your lane. Awaken three steps. One, awaken to the normal of God, which is great and mighty. Two, set yourself on fire. Three, run your race. Stay in your lane. And when you get on fire, you, when you come up next to other people, you will catch them. I want to pray right now for everybody that's listening. Lord, right now, let us awaken even more to what you have. Lord, we won't be mad at the younger brother because they're not awake yet. No, we have a job to do right here, right here. Lord, I'm not concerned about what they're doing or not doing or, or what they're doing might bring on them. I have a job right now to awaken myself to the full manifestation of our inheritance in Christ. And I won't shy back from it. Lord, I will awake to these things. I will awake to these things. Lord, let every person that's hearing this, let us awake to your normal. Let us awake to heaven on earth. Let us awake to our responsibility as ambassadors. Let us awake to the fruitfulness of heaven, to the fruitfulness of Jesus. Let us awake to that and walk it out. Lord, and not be held back to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Let us awake to it, Lord. Let us win souls, make disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils, Lord. Let us awake to the fullness of your glory and in the middle of a darkness and a deep darkness. Father, let us be lit up with your glory as a testimony of your love that you want to pour out on this earth. And Father, we just ask you right now, if you don't know Jesus right now, just pray this prayer with me. And if you do know Jesus right now, pray this prayer with me. Just say, Jesus, fill me with all of your goodness, with the fullness of your life. Jesus, you're my Lord. You're the director of my life. Nothing else will I allow to sit on the throne of my life. I believe you took my sin on you. And that sin took you to the cross and to the grave. And you died for me. And I believe that God brought you back to life. And he raised you up out of that place of death. And when he raised you... He raised me out of that place of death as well. And because of that, I will not go back to the sin of death, but I will walk a life of holiness. Jesus, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Baptize me in fire. Let me be on fire, Lord. Let me be baptized. I'm asking with you. I'm believing by faith. I have received that baptism now. And let me be your witness and empowered to walk in your holiness from, for every day from this point forward. Now, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, no matter where they're at or where they're hearing this, whether it be live or whether it be in the archive, Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, 
Lord, fill them with your Holy Ghost and fire now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. There it is. It's flowing now. Lord, let it be a fresh flow of your fire all across these airwaves, a fresh flow of your anointing and the Holy Spirit fire. Lord, set a fire down in their bellies that cannot be quenched, a fire that will burn off all of the chaff, all the stuff that would stand in the way. Lord, a fire of God that will shake them at their core. Lord, baptize them in fire in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. What's going on in the world? The Lord is waking his church up. The Lord is waking his church up. The Lord is waking his church up. If you receive that fire right now, I want every person put fire emojis in those comments. Put the fire in there. Lord, I receive your fire. I, I receive your boldness. I receive your confidence. Lord, let your people be bold. Give us boldness and confidence to preach your word, to live your word, to live out love, to live out faith. Lord, give us that confidence now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your anointing, Father. Glory to God. Just receive now. If you have the ability, just lift your hands and receive from heaven right now. The Lord wants to pour out on you. Many auto from Antonia City. Nedo Stufro Cododoba. Ladiatiata Cononiaci. Deme Utu Cododosi. Laniato Flakinindi. Thank you, Lord. Bring those things to life. Bring what was dead to life. Lord, kill those things that are of death in Jesus' name. Let them be weeded out. Holy Spirit, separate between the soul and the spirit. Holy Spirit, separate now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your fire. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that from this day... The believers here in this, they'll be walking with the fire of God, that they'll be overflowing. Just thank them for it right now. Put it in the comments. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Say it out loud. Thank you, Lord, for getting me awake. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me there. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for filling me with the Holy Ghost. Thank you for filling me with your fire. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Ha ha ha, so friendly. Yeah, the anointing's flowing, Kevin. He says, I should have pulled over. Whoa, it's flowing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We just praise you and we worship you. We praise you and we worship you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. Now, if you prayed that prayer, now hear me, hear me. If you prayed that prayer today, and you've never had relationship with Jesus before, I want you to go to whatsright.com and contact us and let me know. Say, I prayed today and I was born again. I was saved. But here's what I also want. If you've never prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill you or to be baptized with fire, but you prayed that today, I want to know about it. I want to hear. I want to pray for you. I want to, I want to reach out to you. And so go, to, go also, whatsright.com, and go to contact and say, I prayed for the first time today to be filled with the Holy Ghost and filled with fire. And if you have a testimony, I want to hear about it. I want to hear what the Lord's doing in your life. Well, you're not in this alone. We are partners in this. We are together. God believes in a whole. And I'm telling you, I believe in the whole, not just 
just me, not just my ministry. I believe in you. That's what we're sending this broadcast out around the world every day for free for. We're sowing it into the world because we believe in you. And so we want to hear from you. Thank you, Father, for touching your people. Thank you, Lord, even that while we were praying, people were healed, Lord. Let them, let them figure it out. Let them see, oh my goodness, I don't have that pain anymore. Thank you, Lord. I don't have that congestion. I can taste again. I can smell again. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for healing your people. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So now, do you have a better picture of what's going on in the world? Can you put two and two together? Can you see it? And it's not that it's going to affect you in a negative way. It's not. You're not going to be affected in a negative way if you'll apply faith in the promises of God. It'll, it'll just cause you to grow. The devil will try to form a weapon. It'll just cause you to go higher. You know, the devil can do all he wants to do. No weapon formed against you will prosper because you know the word and you're going to put faith in it. Amen? No weapon. It'll cause you to go higher. No persecution is going to cause you to go down. You'll go higher. You're going to victory, from victory to victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm not going to spend much time on it. I'm going to turn it over to Barrett. But if you would like to sow today, this is a good message to sow into. If you would like to sow, and, and, and you know, I may, I may share this. I'll seek the Lord on that. I may spend some money and share this message. We may cut it down just to the message and get it out there. It's a message people need to hear. Thank you, Lord. And uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, you can go uh, on Facebook. You can type in hashtag donate followed by the amount uh, like it is in the uh, thumbnail there or the lower third right there. Uh, or you can go to giveww.org and you can give one time or you can partner with us and give on a recurring basis. And uh, we just praise God for you. I just want to pray for anybody who may be giving today. Lord, bless them. Uh, in the name of Jesus, amen, there's something special on that. Glory to God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, supernatural increase those insane ideas. Lord, those supernatural ideas, let them come to pass now in Jesus' name. It is a year of harvest. It is a year of harvest in Jesus' name. It is a year of harvest. Thank you, Priscilla. Thank you, Joni, for those seeds. It is your year of harvest, Priscilla, Joni. It's your year of harvest. That's for you as you sow today. That's a word for you. You need to take it. It's your year of harvest in Jesus' name. It's your year of harvest in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That's it. Sometimes the Lord... He draws it out for people, and sometimes he, he closes it down and says, that's it. Glory to God. I want to hand it over to Barrett. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that this has blessed you, and uh, this is your year of harvest. And uh, so with us as, as the Lord leads you to do that. And, Father, we just thank you right now. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, buddy, for that. It is your year of harvest. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, we love you, and we praise you so much. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. We praise you. We worship you. Thank you, Lord, for this message. Thank you for setting our hearts right. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for pro providing us a way Thank to you. awaken even more. You are so good, yeah. so merciful, so merciful, Lord. Thank you.
Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're so loving. You're so loving, Lord. You are so loving. All glory. Thank you. Lord, and just, I want to tell you, even as, I, as we sign off today, even as we sign off, don't stop receiving that anointing. The Lord's pouring out right now. I know many of you are at the end of the fast. I am so pleased with you on the fasting that you have done. Uh, golly, I am so pleased. I saw more people fasting this year than I've ever seen before. I am so pleased with you. And I want you to know, you have a right to believe that you are receiving right now something supernatural because of that fast. God doesn't have people that sow that he doesn't reward. When they sow in the right heart and they sow in faith, they will receive a great harvest. And you have a right to. And so even as we sign off and throughout the weekend, you just stay right there in that place of receiving. Lord, I receive your anointing. I receive your presence into my life. I receive everything that you're doing, and I just thank you for it. Lord, bring about the supernatural. Lord, bring about the supernatural in every person that's hearing this. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week. It's going to be good. Love you. Amen. Thank you for being on with us. Just because pastor has finished praying does not mean that giving is closed. You are still able to go to givew.com or you, if you're on Facebook, you, go, you can do hashtag donate and still sow there and still be a part of what the Lord is doing today. Thank you for being on with us. Take this time and share the broadcast if you haven't done it yet. The answers that you are looking for, your family is looking for, the world is looking for is in the broadcast that just aired. So take the time to share this. And we thank you for being on with us. You are the blessed of the Lord. And we are honored to have you here with us. We'll be back on Monday at 1130 a.m. You're not going to want to miss it. And we'll see you later. Have a great weekend.